for me, there is like 50,000 things going through my brain all at the same time. There are days when I am absolutely overwhelmed and I am, you know, paralyzed just trying to figure out how to take that next step, right? Hi, this is Danae. I'm the founder of Simple Families. Simple Families is an online community for parents who are seeking a simpler, more intentional life. In this show, we focus on minimalism with kids, positive parenting, family wellness, and decreasing the mental load. My perspectives are based in my firsthand experience raising kids, but also rooted in my PhD in child development. So you're going to hear conversations that are based in research, but more importantly, real life. Thanks for joining us. Hey there, thanks so much for tuning in. Today I'm talking with Yakini Pierce from ADHD Love, and she's sharing more about her lived experience as a mother with ADHD raising two kids with ADHD. Before we jump into my chat with her, I want to bring you a quick word from today's sponsor. The sponsor for today is PrepDish. All the planning and coordinating in motherhood can be absolutely exhausting, with feeding our families being a huge and important responsibility. When I first learned about prep dish, I'm like, well, why do I need someone to send me recipes every week? There's millions of recipes out there on the internet. Well, that's just exactly the reason why I needed it. Prep dish isn't just a set of curated recipes sent to you each week. It includes a detailed grocery list and plan to prep food in advance. So when it's time to serve things up on dish day, the mental load of it all feels so much less. I find that the hardest part about asking for help is the struggle to articulate exactly what I need help with. And PrepDish allows me to do that. I can hand my partner a paper and we can easily divide and conquer to get the job done. If you want to give it a try, go to PrepDish.com forward slash families to get two weeks free. That's PrepDish.com forward slash families and you'll get two weeks free. Back to today's episode, I'm talking with Yakini Pierce from ADHD Love. I frequently get messages and emails from mothers who are newly diagnosed with ADHD after having children. Now, these women have often been challenged by ADHD their whole lives without really realizing what it was. Motherhood has a way of pushing our executive functioning skills to the test. And as Yakini shares with us, sometimes it can just be too much. I want to thank Yakini for sharing more about her family experience and about the work that she's doing. Without further ado, here's today's episode. Hi, Yakini. How are you? Fantastic, Danae. How are you? I'm good. Thanks so much for chatting with me today. Well, I'm happy to be here. Very excited. It took us a while to get connected. So I know. <laughs> right? I'm glad we finally found a time and it's happening. So, Yakini, tell me a little bit about what you do. Tell me about ADHD Love. Sure. So ADHD Love, it's a platform that supports parents with ADHD, parents with children with ADHD. And since it supports parents with ADHD, a lot of the information can also, you know, support adults that have ADHD that don't necessarily have children. But the reason why I focused on parents is because when I started my journey, it was such a hard road. I felt like I was the only one that was going through it. 
I did not have a community at that time. I didn't know what resources to go after. I mean, there was just so many questions. I mean, even the basic, what is ADHD, right? And how does it affect my children and how does it affect? Well, even though right then and there, it was kind of new to me. Um, eventually I start seeing them in me. So it's like, okay, so how does it affect me? But the bottom line is I do not want other parents to go through this road and this journey alone. I want them to have a one-stop shop of information, um, things they can collect, tools they can put in their toolbox so they can use on their journey. So that's really the main purpose of ADHD Love. Great. And you, so you are diagnosed with ADHD and you have two children who both are as well. Right. Right. And did you grow up with that diagnosis or was that later in life? No, I received the diagnosis last year, 45 years old. Wow. That's incredible. And how old are your kids now? My kids are 10 and 12. So I have to tell you that I talk to moms all the time who have been diagnosed with ADHD later in life. And I, there's something about minimalism. I think that attracts people who struggle with executive functioning. Do you find that you're attracted to a simpler life? Do I like simplicity? Yeah. Yeah. I'm very, (laughs) yes. Matter of fact, that is my, um, when I was going through a sorority, that was my line name. (laughs) I I like things very simple. I don't like it to be complicated. I don't like friends to be complicated. I don't like work to be complicated. I just like things very simple and straightforward. (laughs) Right. I feel like there, there is absolutely a connection between ADHD and the need. I mean, I think everybody needs simplicity, but I think when, when things are swirling in your brain, I mean, explain that, how that connection as you imagine that. Yeah. So for me, there is like 50,000 things going through my brain all at the same time. There are days when I am absolutely overwhelmed and I am, you know, paralyzed, just trying to figure out how to take that next step. Right. But if I had, you know, even though I talk about this all the time and I will tell people, I'm very honest, some of the tips that I give you, I know they work well for other people, but sometimes they don't work well for me. And so one of those things is structure. Structure works well for me, but I can't seem to always get that structure the way that I need to. And if I had the structure, I think things would be a lot more simple in my life. So that's kind of one of the things. Got it. And that makes sense. So I find that I, I don't have ADHD. I have very strong executive functioning skills and I still find that the executive functioning demands of motherhood are overwhelming all of the planning and the coordinating and the scheduling. And I just, and I, I think that's part of the reason why I wanted to have this conversation is because I feel like I'm pretty good at managing the stuff in my brain and it's still hard for me. So what does it feel like to be a mother trying to manage it all when it doesn't come naturally to you? Yeah. So, um, I mean, I, I will use the, the word again, some days it's just too much and too, and I'm overwhelmed and it's not, so to your point as a mom, it's not like you can just stop, 
right? You have to continue going. I have to continue working. I have to continue supporting my kids. My kids are in activities. Um, I still take them there. I mean, I don't have to, but they need to be in activities. They need the exercise, et cetera, right? So it's just a lot. And then on top of that, I have my ADHD love platform. And then I have a, um, a business with my mom. So we're into real estate. So there's just a lot, and I'm a single mom. So there's always a lot going on in my world. And so I really have to, number one, I can't think about certain things. I just have to do it right. It's time to go. I get the kids going. We walk out the door right now. When I say I get the kids going, I know it's probably going to take about 10, 15 minutes to get them out the door, <laughs> but I just can't think about it. It's like, come on, let's go um, put on your coats. And then, you know, five minutes later, all right, put on your coats. Right. So I just, I know those things are going to happen, but I can't think about it because again, it'll be too much. When you say you can't think about it, do you mean you can't think about like the anticipation of the hassle or the anticipation of the, um, the resistance that your kids might put up? What exactly do you mean there? Yeah. So it just really depends on the situation. So for that particular situation, I can't think about, um, so let's start with getting them out the door, right? One point, all I could think about is how it's going to be an event and how getting them out the door was going to be one thing, how, you know, getting them in the car was going to be another thing. The trip to, you know, wherever we were going, that is a whole nother thing because they tend to like pick on each other, right? So there was always all of these things that would play in my brain. <laughs> and, I, you know, the first thing I would just say is, I don't even want to go, right? I just, I don't want to do it. I don't want to go. I mean, and it wouldn't even be just taking them to, you know, to their activities. I'm talking about even going to the grocery store, right? I would think about that whole process, including being in the grocery store and shopping with my kids and all of that, that was going to happen. That would be so, that would just be too much for me. So now I just, we just do it. We just go, right? So right. I, I just know that it's going to take a minute. So I start early. Um, and then I just know things are going to happen in the car. I just know it's going to be a little <laughs> bit confusing, you know, when we're shopping, it just is what it is. So I just don't think about it. <laughs> I heard a quote once that with ADHD, it's now or never, would yeah. you say that applies to you? Always. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you so, just do it now. <laughs> right. I love that. It's like, you know, it just, you got to start somewhere. Right. Yeah. And just start now. And, right. and right. that even on the simplest level for something like, getting the kids out the door. I think that is, yeah. Cause we all get stuck in our heads. I can, I can see that. I, that definitely happens to me too. That dread, that anticipation, especially when you know, it's a known trigger or a known obstacle that you face over and over and over again. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And that is also something I try to teach my kids. Obviously they're, you know, young and still trying to even understand themselves, but that's one thing I'm trying to instill in them right now is you have to do it. Whatever it is that you don't want to do, you have to do it. You have to go to school. You have to read that book. You have to do your homework. It's just easier for you if you just do it and don't think about it. Just do right. it. Just do it now. Mm-hmm. Not five minutes from now. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I can see that for sure. So you got your diagnosis later in life. What, what would you, what would you recommend people who are kind of questioning that? Yeah. So from my side, the reason why I originally 
received the diagnosis is one for validation, just because I had through so many struggles, you know, throughout my life. And then I saw myself in my children. I just knew it was me that carried that gene, right? Usually I'd like to blame <laughs> everything else, <laughs> right? <laughs> someone else. <laughs> but this one, I said, this is absolutely me. And when I got that diagnosis, it was validating. It just, it was the answer to the questions. Why was I doing the things that I was doing throughout my life? And the medication piece is just more of a plus. So it wasn't like, okay, I'm going to get my diagnosis and I'm going to go on medication. I didn't even think of it that way. It was just an absolute plus, um, to the diagnosis, but the reason I got it was just for validation. And then also I wanted to connect with my children too, right? I wanted to say, your mommy has this too. And she is going through this, you know, similar struggles that you're going through. So I wanted to be able to really connect with them also. Mm, I love that. And I'm sure that they can feel that authentic connection too, because empathy for me is such a huge part of staying calm and finding patience with my kids. Do you find that really understanding and being sort of quote unquote, being inside their heads, really knowing what they're going through helps you to stay calm on a day-to-day basis? It's changed everything. Yes. I mean, don't get me wrong. I have, you know, my moments where I'm getting frustrated and, um, I just want to pull my hair out sometimes, but it's less, it is a lot less. And it's because I really understand what's going on with them and how I approach them in every aspect has changed. Even if it's, like I said, getting them out the door, I just, I know it's going to happen. I start earlier. If I can, I start earlier getting them out the door. Um, how I approach consequences. Uh, we have conversations about it and we, um, I actually involved them in the decision of the consequences, right? Where before it was like, okay, fine, you did this and you're going to be punished this way, right? So I just parent differently than I did before. And one thing that I've seen and felt is the energy of the home has changed. It's been more, it just feels safe. It feels you know, like we're really on the same team, you know, we all get each other. Doesn't mean that we don't get annoyed with each other. <laughs> yeah. We get each other, right. So it's just been, I mean, that changed everything. Obviously the journey with them, um, it started really with the journey with them. You know what I mean? So my daughter was the one that actually started the journey, even though she wasn't diagnosed until 12. And so I learned so much about ADHD through that journey, but my parenting really changed probably, I will say probably a year before I got diagnosed. So, okay. Can you tell us a little bit about the differences between the different types of ADHD? Because you have kids who are one of each, right? Correct. So you have your inattentive. So most people know it as even though I hate this word, it's like being spacey. They're just really, you know, um, in another world or they are easily distracted. They're looking out the window. Right. And we, we always nickname it, you know, squirrel. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and um, when we were kids, that was just ADD. 
Exactly. It was ADD, but they just recoined it to ADHD. Well, they just put everything under the umbrella of ADHD, but attention deficit hyperactivity disorder without the hyperactivity just doesn't make sense. Exactly. I mean, I guess in my brain, I'm, it's hard to wrap my head around, but But, I mean, a lot of people (laughs) even think that attention deficit hyperactivity that, you know, the deficit part doesn't even make any sense. So, you know, you you know, that's one interesting. Yes. Um, and then the hyperactivity impulsive type, um, and, and there's a long list of inattentives. I mean, and my daughter, she falls under so much of that. Uh, she forgets things, you know, she, um, literally I will ask her on Friday, do you have homework? And she'll say yes. And then she'll forget that she had homework and I'll get sidetracked and it will be Sunday night at like nine o'clock <laughs> when she has to finish her homework, right? Yeah. And she doesn't do it on purpose. It just, she literally, it just goes out of her head. So there's a lot of things that fall under inattentive. Um, for the hyperactivity impulsive type, it is what you think it is. It's just very high energy. Like my son is constantly going. And even when I put him in sports, he is not even tired by time the session is completed. He used to fall out of his chair. He was really, you know, good at interrupting conversations. Um, He would be in people's space, (laughs) like literally in their space. So, and then very impulsive. I mean, things would just come out of his mouth and he would just, like I said, just jump in people's face or he may take something off somebody's desk. Um, So he definitely falls in that hyperactivity impulsive type. Although I would say my daughter's very impulsive too, but she wasn't officially diagnosed with that piece. So yeah. So those are mm. the differences. You know, what I heard you say that I really loved was you said that the homework sometimes just falls out of her head. And <laughs> it's just, I think that hearing your language, hearing you say that just shows that it's, it, you know, that's the way that you think about your kids and the way that you talk to them. And there's just no shame in that, right? Mm-hmm. It happens. Like you are not less, you're not broken because you have forgotten to do your homework. Right. And I just, there's, there's such, that's so powerful. I think to be able to speak to your kids in a way, in a way that doesn't have shame because it does, it happens to all of us. We all forget about things. Right. (laughs) And we're so, I think sometimes so quick to blame our kids and to point fingers and to call them lazy and, um, think that they're a mess when they forget things. But yet, I mean, we do that all the time. I do that with breaking things all the time. Like I, I frequently will like drop things and break things. But then when my kids do it, I'm like, what? You're so careless. Right. <laughs> right. It's just in my head, at least I think out of my mouth, I try to be a little more conscientious about that, right. but um, yeah, we can be really quick to get on our kids about things that we are guilty of too. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. So, so when you, okay. So you, that, that was helpful understanding a little bit about the different types. What about you? Where do you fall as an adult and where did you fall as a kid? Yeah. So it's really interesting. Well, first of all, I did forget to mention the third type, which is combined. So you're combined with, you know, each one, both inattentive and hyperactivity You have signs under both. So that is the, the third type. Um, so when I was diagnosed, I was not diagnosed with a specific type. I was diagnosed with ADHD and the comorbidity of anxiety and depression. And so for me though, when I look at it, I say I'm more of the combined type and have been like that throughout my life. So I am the person that forgets things and, 
um, you know, just literally will fall asleep in class because of boredom or, you know, looking out the window, the teacher's calling on me and I don't hear a word they say, you know, talkative um, and you wouldn't want to sit still. Like I was always outside going around, you know, the, the house, just playing with myself because I was a, a only child for a very long time. So I really see, like I said, even today, like I'm constantly moving, like my leg is constantly moving right now, right? Um, I can't sit still for a very long time. So if I'm in meetings that are very long, I will stand in the back of the room because one thing, one of two things are gonna happen. I'm just going to nod, <laughs> right? Or I am just going to just space out and not be there. So I always went after a certain point, I stand in the back of the room. So even today, there's a lot of things that I do that fit under combined. When you were a kid, did teachers or anyone tell your parents that you may have ADD or ADHD? Was that ever discussed? No, it was never discussed. It was more of the symptoms that were discussed. So like the falling asleep, for example, um, you know, I went to the, the doctors and I was um, treated for hypoglycemia and later for being anemic. Um, needing more iron, but even when I got the supplements, I still fell asleep in class. Um, so, you know, all of the different signs, no one would have thought that I had ADHD. And plus that wasn't really a conversation back then. They may have mentioned it, but it wasn't, I mean, any type of mental health conditions it just wasn't a conversation at that time. And of course, if you felt any ounce of differences or your friends felt that you were different, that would be embarrassing, right? So that just never came up. I mean, people did not talk about their mental illness back then. So first, no, it never came up. And then second, it probably wouldn't have been a conversation anyway. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think there's such a difference between girls and boys. And when it comes to stress and overwhelm, boys tend to be externalizers and they act out and girls tend to be internalizers that hold it in. I and mean, that's, yes. that's just a broad generalization, but so yeah. I, I, I think there's a piece of that, that leads to a huge underdiagnosis in the female population. No, that's, that's exactly correct. Yeah. I mean, the girls are missed quite a bit. And to your point, um, I even saw it in my daughter after a while, she went from being very external to internalizing everything, which people don't realize they think that they're okay, but they really are not right. And staying on top of that is so important. And if, um, if the, the, the teachers and school districts were just willing to be educated a little bit more, they would be able to catch more girls who are going through this situation. So they're not growing up, not being able to deal with all that is going on with them and really getting into bad situations when they're on their own, like when they're in college, right? Some people just, they just, they are, I mean, they fell out of college, right? Or they, <laughs> they just cannot do the work because they don't have that system in place to really help them move forward. So yeah. yeah. Right. So what has school looked like for your kids and have you been able to advocate for supporting them in the classroom? Yes. So school, it was really difficult in the beginning. So 
really, let's start off with the daycare system. The daycare systems, it was just absolutely horrid. And that was at the time where I didn't even know what was going on with my children. I would get phone calls every single day because, you know, one of my kids had an outburst um, or they weren't listening or they refused to change stations. Um, I mean, there was just constant, constant phone calls that I would receive. And I mean, it got to the point where I would see the number come up and I would just cringe. Or if I did not get a phone call and I see them standing at the door, (laughs) I'm like, I know they're about to come talk to me. (laughs) It was just, it was really hard. So at that time, even though I, I didn't know what was going on, but I just knew something was going on. I knew my children were very intelligent. I mean, they were speaking early and my daughter was walking early. My son, even still today, he's very stubborn. He was like, I'm going to crawl forever. (laughs) And I'm like, you're not going to crawl forever. Um, But they were very intelligent kids and they're wonderful. They're sweet. They are loving. I knew something was going on. So when I went to, I took my daughter, cause she's two years older. Cause it really started with her. I took my daughter to a therapist and who recommended a child psychologist and the child psychologist at that time did not want to diagnose her. So he says, you know, basically let's just stay, just, just continue to watch her. And if you see similar signs um, or symptoms, you know, bring her back. Well, ironically, my son started to show the external signs, but unlike my son, by the time my daughter got into first grade, she started to internalize, right? So you didn't see a lot of the situations, but I still knew in my heart, I needed to keep an eye on her. So my son now was having the outbursts. So now he is... um, past the daycares, or actually, let me take a step back. They went to a Montessori school and it was so bad at that time. Both of my kids were expressing themselves externally. It was so bad at that time. I share this with everybody. I forgot their lunches. And so I went to the Montessori school to give them their lunch or provide lunch. Both of my children were in the office. (laughs) And they are in separate classrooms. They were in the office at the same time. (laughs) And I said, well, since uh, I didn't get a phone call, I gave the lunch. (laughs) I kissed them both and I left. (laughs) Right. I mean, and you've got to, you've got to keep moving. I think you made that point at the beginning, which is so important, right? You do. You just got to keep moving forward. So, um, so at that time, so the Montessori school did not have support systems. Again, they wanted to really help them, but they just didn't have a support system. So I moved them to a school district that I knew did. And so, um, my son was really struggling externally. He was having behavioral issues. He just didn't think anybody really understood what he was trying to communicate. And so long story short, Um, after I will say halfway through kindergarten, I requested a meeting with the staff and asked for, um, I wanted to ask for an IEP for him. And so, um, and I'm telling you, that was the best thing that has ever happened because it took kindergarten to fourth grade to get to where he, you know, where he was, but everything we put in place to support him has been 
just tr a tremendous help. So for example, he was able to, in the beginning, he would meet with the, um, his specialist on a daily basis. And, uh, and she and I would stay in conversation on a daily basis. She would, I would let her know if he was having a bad morning, just in case, you know, it crossed over into school. Um, they were always able to teach him how to deal with behavior, how to uh, work through social issues because he just didn't know how to make friends. Um, so all these, these different techniques to help him grow, they were there for him. And they just were willing to get him. They make sure they paired him up with teachers who could work with a child like my child. And then they, but everybody who, who um, interact with him, interacted with him really were willing to get him. So he had a really strong support system in the school. And it's just been, you know, just a, a wonderful thing. Um, this is the first year he's in fifth grade now. So this is the first year where they're a lot more independent. So in fifth grade, they start the independence. So really he is supposed to come to the, um, the uh, specialist when he needs something, but they realize that he's still not ready yet. He's still not ready to come to them. So now she realizes that and comes to him and checks in with him. And so just like I said, just really understanding him and putting their arms around him. Um, yesterday, I, I got a, a note about how he wasn't focusing and how he was just kind of doodling and it was just uncharacter for him. And so I remembered that he accidentally only took half of his medication, <laughs> but I forgot to tell the school. Um, and so but she wrote the note. I, I typed the email just to let them know what was going on. And she says, thank you for letting me know. Now I know one of the things to look for. You know what I mean? So they're right. just, they've just been supportive. And then really quick for my daughter, she, so like I said, I had to keep watching her. Um, so there were times when I knew she was going through something, I would ask like the, um, the psychologist to talk to her, the school psychologist. Uh, I would let them know what was going on with her and they were willing to always connect with her. It wasn't until this year where I officially asked them to put certain things in place for her that could help her through her schooling. So for example, she's allowed to doodle where she wasn't allowed to doodle in the past because they would feel like obviously that's distracting her. Now they realize that's how she processes she needs to doodle to focus on what they're saying. Isn't that the craziest thing? <laughs> I, well, I just can't believe they wouldn't let her doodle. That seems like just silly to me that doodling was forbidden. Yeah. Yeah. They wow. wouldn't let her doodle or draw or anything like that. So now they do. And she gets, I mean, she gets great, great grades. So, so yeah. So long story short, it's just been a supportive system. Now, let me tell you a lot of it. It's because I had to change school systems. Everybody isn't doesn't have the means to do that. Yeah, I did. And so I was able to move them to a new school system that had those programs in place and that was willing to put their arms around them and give them the help and support that they needed. Right. Because ADHD doesn't impact intelligence, but it can impact achievement, academic achievement, yes. if they're not properly supported. Correct. Yeah. Oh, I that love to hear exactly that you were correct. able to find that those solutions for your kids in the public schools. And you're right though. Not all districts have the same resources and the same special education teams. 
it's been wonderful. It has. I mean, obviously it was a long road, Yeah. but we're in a better position today. So talk to me a little bit about medication. I've heard medication called the, um, eyeglasses for kids with ADHD. Like you wouldn't send your kid to school without their glasses. Right. Um, but there's such a stigma. Have you found that there's a stigma? What, how do your kids cope with that? Oh, absolutely. Um, when I, my son is the one who went on medication first and the first thing that I, that the feedback that I would get when they found out, or when I told people that he had ADHD, the first thing that they would say is you're not going to put him on medication. Are you right? That's like just the first thing they would blurt out. <laughs> it's like, fascinating really? <laughs> because that's definitely no one's business, right? Yes. Exactly. <laughs> but I mean, in no other situation would someone ask you about your personal medical information or your kids medical information, but <laughs> it's just, it was the craziest thing. Right. So yeah. So there is stigma. I mean, even today, but now I just kind of talk about it as if I mean, I know there's stigma out there, but I just know how it really helped my son. Right. I just know what the effects, um, I just know that there were just more positive effects than the negative effects. Now we do have to balance this. So one of the side effects is not eating, right? So during the day while he's on the medication. So one of the things that I am working with him on is making sure that um, he chooses a certain amount of things during the day without even thinking, or I even allow him to get sweets. Like he has money on his lunch card. He can get sweets if he wants to, because he just does not eat during the day. But the reality is he needs that medication because just like yesterday, it really showed it is still supporting him and he needs it to focus. He needs it to be able to make clear decisions. And so, I mean, I'm for it. And, and keep in mind, I am a person that grew up where we were, and even still today, my parents um, are very, uh, like we take vitamins and minerals and um, you know exercise and that's kind of our world. But one thing they always said is if it is necessary, then if a medication is necessary, don't avoid it, right? So I always kept that in my head. That was the last thing that I turned to. I tried all of these natural directions, but I knew by itself, it just wasn't working for him. And so the medication did. Now for my daughter, I decided right now not to put her on medication. Uh, we're just putting the different um, structures in place just to see how those work for her. And if that works for her and she is able to, and also we're, the, the one thing that I realize in the stories, even, even in my situation, I realize when you get to college, the college level, you don't have these different structures in place, right? So you don't know what to do if now everything is coming onto you. You don't have your parents, you don't have teachers telling you what to do, right? College professors are not gonna tell you right. what to do. They're going to treat you like adults where I am trying to teach them now how to be independent, how to deal with crisis situations, how to deal with peer pressure, how to balance fun with getting their homework done, all of those different things. And if it comes to the point where she feels like she just isn't getting, I mean, everything is just not um, connecting then we will talk about medication. But right now we're just putting this structure in place to see how things go. 
And then for myself, I actually decided to, after talking to a therapist, um, and then I got with a, um, an RN who is part of a, I don't know if they call it like an executive functioning, but they deal with ADHDers, they, you know, they deal with a certain population and they recommended. So the first thing they recommended is to get my anxiety and depression under control. Um, so that was the first step. And then the second step was to get my ADHD piece under control. And so, so I take medication for each one of those things. And again, it's just been, it's just been amazing. So that's great. And, you know, I, I, we, I think people may or may not know that medication helps with some elements, but they definitely still need support with other elements. And I've heard that there, the estimate is around, um, there's about a 30% or a one third delay in development of executive functioning skills. So a 12 year old has executive functioning skills that are more like, like an eight-year-old, maybe I'm trying to do math in my head, which is a mistake, (laughs) but so part of that is changing our expectations as parents too, right? Do you, have you had, is that been something that you've been working towards changing your expectations for your kids based on what they quote unquote should be able to do at some age or another? Yeah. I mean, my daughter, well, actually both of them, you could see over time, the maturity delay, right? You know, they still wanted to act like really little kids and they still wanted to make these little kid decisions. Um, but we do have real conversations. I mean, I'm, I'm very honest with my children. I, we talk about how ADHD affects them, but we also talk about how to balance it with what's going on with other children that are in their classroom or with their other surroundings, how do you balance that? And really they have learned more and more. They are, how do you say it? They, they, they are, so you wouldn't hear my daughter talk any baby talk at school, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so she's like this big kid at school and or big preteen. And she's like the mom, right? Of her friends. So she has this, and it's a natural persona. It's not a fake one. That's who she is. She just is a caregiver. But then when she comes home, she feels safe just to like, let it all out. Right. And just be the, the little one. Um, and the same thing with my son, my son is, I used to go to the school all the time to volunteer for different things, part of it. So I can see him. And my son, (laughs) It was like, he was like this role model, like (laughs) Like, it's a whole different person at school, even when, so, uh, one year I did reading with the kids and he was my first person. He read perfectly. I always have issues. (laughs) of getting him to read with you at home (laughs) to me at school. Right. Um. So, so (laughs) I'm thinking, how is that? How is that possible? (laughs) Right. But anyway, so long story short, they are starting to be, they're starting to separate. So knowing that they need to be a little bit more mature in certain situations versus how they can be at home. Now, one thing I will say is like my son, when that medication wears out, so like he's in his activities, then he's back to being extremely hyper. And, you know, for example, he is doing basketball 
clinics. And while he's waiting his turn, he's throwing the basketball against the wall, right? He's the one that is the first one throwing it against the wall. And all of a sudden, all the kids are throwing the basketball <laughs> against the wall, right? So, yeah, I said, is that the most mature thing? He's like, no. <laughs> but you pick your so, battles, yeah, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah, you pick your battles. I'm like, whatever. So, yeah. So the point is, I do see it but they are starting to learn how to distinguish it depending on what situation they are in. Um, So they're growing, but I don't allow, I don't. So when they're at home, I always tell them they're in a safe place and they can be who they are. Now there are certain things that like me, noise is very hard for me. Right. And that's, I guess it just is. And so, and with my son, who's very energetic and very noisy, I ask him to, you know, bring it down. You don't have to stop. Just kind of bring it down. But outside of that, I let them be who they are. I love that. So who supports you? How do you maintain your, your own individual wellness? Um, I would say my mom is a big supporter. Uh, she is, you know, she prays for me and she sends me Bible verses and she just supports me in general and just to, you know, gives me a positive uplifting word. Um, and my dad is the same way, but they were always like that. And I think that's why I've done as well as I've done throughout my life is because my parents were my base. They always have been my base, my foundation. And so, and she still does that today. And then therapy, um, I'm not in therapy now, but when I need therapy, I go to therapy. Like that is just, (laughs) I think therapy is the best thing ever. And just to be able to work through whatever is going on with me in that moment, whether it is pain, whether it's frustration, whether, you know, am I doing the, making the right decisions as a mom, you know, um, of ADHD children, whatever it is, working through those emotions is also very powerful. Well, thank you so much for sharing all this today. I think so many are going to benefit from hearing about your experience and your family. So I appreciate your time. And where can we find you online if anyone wants to chat with you or learn more? Yeah. So I'm pretty much on all social medias, Facebook, Instagram, Clubhouse, TikTok. I'm still new to that. Twitter, ADHD love 2020. Oh, some I'm, I'm more prominent than others. There's no doubt about that, but, (laughs) um, all ADHD love 2020. And then my website right now, it is directed to a merchandise store, which is www.adhdlove2020.com. But soon it is going to be directed to my main site, which is the hub and everything will be connected into that site. So still keep that address because that will eventually be a true website. So great. Well, thank you so much. It was great chatting. Thank you, Danae. That was awesome. Thanks so much for tuning in. I hope you've enjoyed my chat with Yakini Pierce. If you want to stay in touch with what's going on on Simple Families, the best way is on the email list. If you go to simplefamilies.com forward slash Friday, you'll get signed up for the email list and you'll get my weekly five simple things for Friday. Every week I send out five things that I'm loving. As always, thanks for tuning in and have a good one.